Hey friends, welcome to episode number four of Critical Folly. Make sure that you subscribe to Critical Folly through one of many podcasting platforms and they'll send our weekly podcast right to your inbox. I also want to encourage you to continue to spread the word. Invite your friends, share Critical Folly on social media, and help us get the word out there about our podcast. You can also rate and review us on any podcasting platform. That also helps. My guest today is Dr. Terrence Jackson. Terrence is an emergency management specialist with our federal government. Basically, he has one of those jobs that he can't really tell us what he does. He's also a 13-year veteran of the Marine Corps, a university professor, husband, dad, and my friend. Please welcome Terrence Jackson. Welcome, my friend Terrence Jackson to Critical Folly. Thank you so much for being here, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. I'm honored to be here with you, Pastor Steve. Man, I have so many things I want to ask you today, so we're going to dive right in. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and kind of what life was like as a kid for Terrence. Well, uh, I grew up in Gulfport, Mississippi, on the coast, uh, probably about 60, 70 miles east of New Orleans. Um, two uh, siblings in the house, uh, uh, two brothers, and mom and dad. Uh, PK, I guess you could say. My mom was a was a, a minister. My grandmother, my grandfather on my mom's side, um, just ministers throughout. So, grew up in a very strict Pentecostal church where, yeah, everything you did as a PK or in a Pentecostal church, you, you had no room for error over there. Yeah, did you play uh, sports or other hobbies? What were you involved in as a kid? Um, really, we weren't allowed to play sports outside of, you know, we played neighborhood at the community centers with each other or whatnot. But most of that time was spent at either at church or working on music um, in the church or whatnot. Um, just preparing either you were at church or you were getting ready to go to church. <laughs> Come on. So we, we spent a lot of time there. But in our free time, we, we did play out sports, just nothing. We couldn't do anything organized when we were growing up. So uh, you served in our, our military. Tell tell me about that. How long did you serve in what branch? I served 13 years in the United States Marine Corps okay. as a chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear defense specialist or instructor. You say. Yeah. What is something that you, uh, by the way, man, that, that is so cool. Like, uh, you know, for most of my life, you know, people say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. And you just said like five cool words, uh, you know, in there, in your title in the military. What during your time in the military, man, what what is something that that experience taught you that you couldn't have learned anywhere else in life? Oh, man, I think the leadership aspect, um, me being a, a leader and leading young people, learning how to um Knowing that if you take care of your people, they'll take care of you. The mission will get done. But you have to be people first. And, and I think in a military, it tends to get mixed up where there's mission, they're mission first. And they they tend to, the people that's doing the jobs tend to get lost in that. But over the years, I learned that if I took care of my people, I didn't have to worry about the mission. The mission was going to get done. If I watched out for them or whatever the case may be, they would work 
their fingers to the bone for me because they knew I had their back. You know, they they really say that they took the leadership mold that I had and they applied it to their 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 subordinates as well. So I think that was something that, that I still try to spread as I, you know, in my government service now, that just taking care of people. Yeah, man. Isn't that true that um, no matter what area of life your career may fall, it's all about people. It's about in- investing, developing, recruiting uh, people. And so so that's that's really good. Now, I, I know that you can't tell us exactly what you do for a living right now for our government, but in layman's terms, tell us what your title is and maybe what a, kind of a, an average day for Dr. Jackson looks like. Well, I'm an emergency management specialist, and um, a lot of my time is spent either writing or interpreting policy um, or doing assessments on programs as it relates to emergency management or how they respond to um, emergency situations, whether it's a hurricane, whether it's a threat, whether it's whatever the threat may be. Yeah. You and I did not meet under the best of circumstances uh, when we were living in Colorado. I'm so glad that we met. You have made an impact on my life. I hope that I've been able to encourage you guys. But tell our listeners what you remember about the day that your daughter, Rosiah, died. Well, first, I have to say that you have been and your wife and the church have been have had a great impact on our family. And um, I often refer to our time in Colorado as our wilderness time um, because we were doing a lot of searching and trying to find out what, you know, what would fit us um, spiritually, religiously, or whatnot. And we spent a lot of time going to different churches and trying to figure out what was right, what, what, what mesh would work for us. And um, we just searched, we searched, we searched, but, um, on the day Rosiah, um, and I'll come back, I'll make this full circle. Um, the day Rosiah passed, um, me and Trisha and my wife had been out actually planning for her birthday that day. Uh, her birthday was going to be June 28th, um, she was going to be 13, so we were going out, checking out places that made specialty cakes and trying to figure out everything else. And in the midst of that, we also had Christian, who was, um, they were having prom that that day. So we had a lot of stuff going on. And then um, the ice storm hit, so everything got canceled. So every all the kids, all of us were home, um, I guess. God made it so that we all be all be home. And I decided, I said, since we're home, we might as well have family, family game night, which is something we had traditionally in our house a lot. And uh, um, we were literally playing video games. I think we were playing one game was uh, Dance Central. And uh, Zaya and I had just finished dancing against each other or whatnot. And, and uh, um and Zai had she had had a heart problem since she was uh, conditioned since she was two. And in 2014, she had to have her bowels replaced. But after me and her had danced, I mean, she was fine. But after her that second surgery, she had um, 
She had been having fainting spells, but she will recover fine. But after me and her danced, I went to the bathroom and I just heard her yelling. And um, I came out and everyone was panicking. And I, I immediately went into CPR mode, um, just trying to figure out what was going on. And, and they were calling 911. And, and uh, our world just came crashing down that day. And it just, you, you you never know how long you have your children for. You're hoping that your children will bury you and not, not the opposite. And um, that day for me was eye-opening. And for us and for our family, it was just, I don't know. I just, I remember the people from the guy doing CPR at the hospital that just wouldn't give up on her first responders that were there I just remember all of that and and then at the moment where they called it was at 2.52 a.m. Um, and 2.52 is also the area code from where Rosaya was born in North Carolina so um, or in North Carolina so I knew for me and Trisha we were like well that tells us that she wants to go back home so we knew we had to have services back home. But that day, it was just, man, I don't even, you know, you, you're sitting there, you're praying, you're praying, you're hoping, you, you, you're praying for your child to get up off the table, you're in there. And, and it's just, for me, for someone growing up as I I did, with my faith being as strong in God as it has always been, and I've seen God move, I've seen God heal me, I've seen God heal other people and work and do miracles, and I was expecting this to be no other different. We, we had anticipated, okay, we'll be home later. This is just another situation with Zaya that we're going to be home. We had no idea that she was not going to be coming home with us that night. So it was, it was a lot of emotions and just a lot of a lot of just heartbreaking pain and and just oh man, just, this conversation can go a different route. And it's just um, it made me begin to question my faith in God, which I had never done. I remember us talking about that the first time we had lunch that day at the barbecue joint. I remember you saying this: "It's the first time in my life I've had real questions." One of the, the hardest, the hardest thing. As a as a dad, you feel it's your responsibility to protect your children and your, and your family. And I felt as if I had failed in that moment in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And I don't think I ever get over that. To see, like I said before, we were felt like we had been in this wilderness of trying to find out where we were going to be, and not this whole thing of doubt of. What are you doing, God? Um, how can you allow this to happen? And to see how a church that didn't know us, a community of people that really didn't know us, how you all just gathered around us and held us to support us and get us through that that first day after the um, the, the after the wake, all of those things, it. While we were still struggling with our faith, it made us feel, you know, we felt the love. We felt the appreciation. 
and which is we our search for a church home stopped because we felt like we found one in, with the bridge, and we couldn't be more thankful for what you guys had done for us. And it was just everything that happened at that moment within that time. We had so much support, but the real work doesn't start until every ever after everyone goes home. All of that support leaves, and then you're just left with your feelings, your emotions, and your family, and the what we call the 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 year of news, right? So it's like it's a new time where we have to a year first. So this will be our first Christmas without her, our first birthday, our first Father's Day, Mother's Day, all of those things mm -hmm. that we immediately have to deal with after that. And it was just, I don't know, it was it was the toughest time of my life. I never had to deal with it. I was work. I threw myself into work so much that I, I was like, I told Trisha I didn't want her working. I knew she how you know how torn up she was and and trying to go to school and everything else and I was just like just you focus on school and you and we had a parents at the house who were helping with the kids and we were just just trying to make it and my thing was I can't slow I couldn't slow down because it I knew my saying was I can't slow down because if I slow down I'll break down yeah. So that's why I worked myself, you know, my day job with the government and teaching three at three universities at night. It was I was going off for maybe three, four hours of sleep a night from 2016 until we left in 2018. Yeah, it's and sometimes in those situations, it's almost like we're afraid of the silence. You know, if we slow down too long, that that deafening silence that reminds us of whatever it is we've been through, whether it's your tragedy or something else that someone's gone through, that's a common reaction from people is just to stay as busy as I possibly can because the last thing I wanna be is alone with my thoughts. Uh, let me ask you this, man. Um, can you pinpoint what one of the darkest moments was for you that year after Zaya died? I would have to say that watching the effect it had on my wife, the kids, we all went through it, but to see how, how much my wife was going through, and in fact, there was nothing I can do to take away her pain, nothing she could do to take away my pain, and just that entire moment where you just felt feel helpless. And because, again, we had Mother's Day that came up. We had Father's Day that came up and then immediately her birthday. Yeah. All mm -hmm. She died in April. Yes. And so, you know, boom, boom, right after that, uh, back to back. Um, and, man, you know, one of the things I was thinking before we got on together today is I don't even have words or I, I could never even pretend to understand that kind of heartache, but bearing your child has to be possibly the most difficult thing a human could ever, ever walk through. But then there's always the God side of that, right? And so 
what's something that you obviously are dark moments and you know as a husband when you're watching your wife suffer like that we want to fix it right we we want to be the the rescuer and we want to make it better but in this situation when a mama buries her baby girl you you can't fix it there there's no way to fix it um wh- what did you Terrence learn about God during that season and maybe you're still learning it as uh, you're now a few years down the road after Rosiah's death, but what's something you've learned about God during this time? I think the biggest thing that I learned was, and I, um, we were talking with someone from, from a church, from our home church uh, originally that we had gone to in North Carolina before we moved to Colorado. And I had been sharing, you know, my feelings about how we had prayed and, and, and asking God to heal her and all of that. And their response to me was, how do you know he didn't answer that? He may not have healed her the way that you thought, but by taking her home, she's whole again. You know, and that made us think about it somewhat in a different way. While we were hurting here. She didn't have to worry about getting up, taking those pills that she had to take every day, which she hated to take. She didn't have to worry about those fainting spells. She was the one living with it, where we just had the anxiety of worrying about her every day. And it was just, you know, just trying to work through all of that emotion of, it's not what you, I mean, you what you think you're praying for might not necessarily be what God is going to bring to you, you know? So it's that you don't know what that is going to be. You pray and you ask God and, and he's going to take you through. He's going to, he's going to, whatever it is, he's got to answer for it. And it's just, we don't understand it. And we, the more we try to fight it, the more we try to, just we have to learn to just rest in, in him and his decision and, and, and his will. And that to me was probably the hardest part for us as a family to just to answer the question why. Because we we still struggle with that. So. Yeah. You know what? Um, everything you just said made me think of the passage. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways. And we don't understand. I, I've thought for a long time in all areas of life that, and maybe we haven't done a good job in the church of, of teaching about this, but a lot of times I think we, we think of our relationship with God and how he handles things in our life, kind of like a, a, an old TV sitcom, you know, where at the end of the show, there could be all this turmoil during that 30 minutes, but at the end of the show, the music starts playing and there's this neat little bow tied on everything and everyone lives happily every after. And the reality is that's not life. And what do you do with God when he doesn't heal your kid? And, and it doesn't mean he's not sovereign. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You just nailed it. Sometimes it just means that his ways are higher than ours and we can't understand it. And we're foolish to try to try to figure out, you know, God. So, um, man, thank you for sharing about that. What, what would you say real quick to, 
I don't even know if I put this in, in our questions or not. What would you say to a family, a mom and dad who is walking this road right now? Maybe they're a year or two years behind you guys, or maybe it's just happened in the last few weeks where they buried their own child. What would you say to someone walking through that kind of tragedy? Um, for us, uh, my, my main thing is to don't try to pick up and put all the pieces back together yourself. Um, I know there's a stigma out there that seems to exist about getting help or talking to someone. Don't worry about stigmas, whether it's getting counseling for you or your children, because, you know, everybody's going through a change and it's, it's helpful to talk to other people or surround your other people that's either empathetic or have gone through it themselves and can help you sort through all those emotions that you're going through, those feelings of doubt, like me talking with you and you were helping me, trying to help me hold on to my faith and help me hold on. And it was just, you have to talk, you have to be vulnerable enough where you will be to where you just have to go and talk to someone. And you have to surround yourself with people that can not only support you in that way, but that will build you up, that will help you. And then slowly you'll start to see that, you know, that things will never be the same. And this new normal, while you will adjust, you have to go back and you have to look at all of those great times that you had. You have to value that time. So tomorrow's not promised. Value the time that you have today. Value the time, the pictures. Don't, if they want to take a picture, don't be like, well, I'm not looking the best. No, take the picture. Do, Do all of those things because tomorrow isn't promised and, and you don't know how long you're going to have with that person. So just, just, just work through it, surround yourself with the right people and pray, try mm-hmm. to pray, try to pray. You might not even want to pray. It might not even seem like it's praying, but if you're just talking to God and telling him, this is how you feel. And we began to notice that as we poured out, and I'm sorry for talking too much, but as we began to, to pour out that, we began what we failed to see were just signs that show that, you know, she's still around somewhere and her spirit still, still is alive. We were out places and we hear her favorite songs. We, we, we smell, you know, smells, things that smell like her. And sometimes it puts a, 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 it makes us cry. Sometimes it puts a smile on our face and it's just those moments. And, 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 uh, um, There'll be things that you just have to, I always tell people it's, God is always talking to us. You just have to be tuned into the right channel, the right frequency in order to pick it up. And for me, it was moving from Colorado to, to Virginia that helped me slow down enough. The thing that I had been running from of having to being able to deal, when I got here, I was able to finally slow down. And I've just begun to have dreams and visions and, and um and I think one of the one of the best gifts I can say I got was I was visited. I felt like I was visited by Josiah in my dream, where she came and it felt so real. She sat on the foot of my bed. She woke me up, and she basically said, "Daddy, I'm I'm okay. I'm good." And and at that moment, I cried. I can feel myself crying in my in in the dream. 
so much so that it woke me up and it woke my wife up. And it, I, at that moment, had to deal with everything that I had boxed up in that moment. And my wife wouldn't let me. I, I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to, because everybody else, we're talking a year and a half after everything. And I had to unbox all of these emotions up that I'm just now dealing with. Because I was trying to be strong for everyone else. Dad, mm-hmm. it's okay for you to cry. Mom, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You got to cry too. You got to get it out. And it's just, I'm sitting there, I'm laying there in the bed and she wouldn't let, she wouldn't leave me alone. She just let me, she made me get up. She said, I'm not going to let you wallow in this. I'm not going to let you, you should be happy that she visited. You, you should be, you know, thankful for this, you know, um, because she's given us a sign. So she's at peace. She's with God. You know, where else, where's the, where else better could she be? Man, come on. A couple of things I, w- I would say in response to that. First of all, man, you can talk all you want. That's why I brought you on here. I, people don't, people are going to have plenty of time to hear me talk, man. You, you are a hero. And what you guys have walked through is something most people can't ever imagine. So you just talk. Second of all, you just went on and started preaching, Dr. Jackson, all that stuff about, you know, God's always talking to us. We're just not always tuned into the right channel. And man, there's huge wisdom in that for everybody listening today. We just got to position ourselves to hear God better. He, he wants to talk to us. He has things to say to us every single day. We just aren't very good at, at listening sometimes. Well, man, thank you for sharing that. I, I know that it's not easy ever, probably won't ever be easy for you to talk about that. But I also loved hearing you say that there are moments of joy where you, you know, think about her or smell or hear and it brings a smile. And that's just a testimony to people that it never goes back to the way it was, but it does get better. And God is good to heal in that way. Uh, I, wa- I want to switch gears now and talk about our country for a minute. And one of the commitments that I made in beginning this podcast is I didn't want to be political and and we're not going to be. And what I mean by that is politicians and politics. However, going back to probably the 1960s, it's probably safe to say that's the last time our country was this divided. Uh, as divided as it is today. And I just want to get some wisdom for you, uh, an African-American man living in the United States, in fact, living in the United States Capitol. Um, As you look around at what's going on in our country today, what is one step that we can take as Americans, not the politicians, but Americans that live and go to work every day, What's one step that you and I can take to bring unity back to our country? I think it takes for each of us to be empathetic of what the other person is going through, to see it from someone else's viewpoint. And it's just, if you're my brother or, you know, if we were blood brothers, right? If something happened to you, I wouldn't just sit here and and be okay with it. I would be speaking out. I would be 
I would be outraged. I would, you know, what can I do to help? And I think today people are just okay with things happening as long as it's not happening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, 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 I see it. I mean, it's all over social media. I see people now that, you know, I I guess I consider to be friends that and I see some of the comments and it's just like if you could walk a mile in my shoes, you you would understand what we have to go through. Um just simple things and it's and it's how we're not asking <laughs> we're not asking to be elevated above you. Mm. We want to be treated the same as you. And, and and then if you're my brother, you should want the same or my sister, you should you should be okay with that. And why is that so hard for, for people to, to see or accept? And that's all. We we we're not asking we're not asking for the world. We just we just want to live in the same world you live in and be treated fairly. And unfortunately, and Unfortunately, it's not it's not like that. And it hasn't been like that. And I don't think I don't think it's just now today, Steve. I I don't. I think the only thing that has changed is that it's more visible with the use of cell phones, social media. These things are just being captured more. But these are things we have lived with my entire life as 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 a young man growing up in Mississippi on the coast. It wasn't as bad on the coast as other rural parts of Mississippi. But I've seen my share of KKK um, marches through my hometown. I've seen it. I've seen the flyers. I've I've had to deal with that. I've had to deal with being followed through stores. I had to deal with, you know, those questions being pulled over just because I, I've had to deal with it. Having to have that conversation with my son, the same conversation that my parents had to have with me when I started driving. That most people don't have to have if you're not a person of color. You have to have a come the fact that we we have to have that conversation says a lot. Yeah, and, you're right. You're right. Hey, tell me, uh, you know, when when this and and I think you're absolutely right, Terrence. It's always there's always been injustice. I think there's more attention being brought to it now in this technological age that we live in. But when it when when some of these terrible injustices first started happening that are being brought to light with cell phone videos and uh, body cams and dash cams and all that, like George Floyd and others. I remember watching the news and I would think to my I think my first thought was, man, I'm glad I'm I'm not a racist, you know, because I I grew up uh, with just as many black friends, maybe more black friends than I did white friends. And I never thought to myself that I I ever had any idea that I was better than anyone else. But then one day I caught myself referring to a friend of mine as I have this quote, I'm, I'm using air quotes here. I have this black friend and man, it stopped me in my tracks because the thought I had is, Wait a minute. Why why don't I just say my friend? Why do I got to qualify it that it's my black friend or my Asian friend or my Mexican friend? Why don't I just say he's my my friend, my brother? And 
it really opened my eyes that to to if nothing else, man, I I don't really know. I I th- I think I know, and and I think I understand. And like a lot of white people, there's a there's there's probably these little moments where I go, well, man, but it's so much better than it used to be. But that's such an ignorant thought because you don't get followed in stores if you're white and you don't get pulled over for nothing if you're a white person. And and so um, I'm, I'm saying all that to set this up. What is something that you would share with me and our listeners that white people need to understand about being a person of color? That is, it's, we have to literally be cognizant of what we're doing every day. Things that you um, that you do that you really don't have to think about. We have to get up and really be cognizant of. Okay, this is this is where we're going. This is how we're going. You know, just really put forth an effort that we may be in this situation today. We may be, you know, if I'm going through a certain state, I'm driving through a certain state. If I'm going to a store, or I'm going to a particular area. I have to realize that we have to plan. It's not something that we can just take off. It's not, and it's just, it's really exhausting to live in America in these days and times and having to always be cognizant of who you are, what you're doing, and you just can't be yourself. You can't roam free. You can't just, it's, 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 it's exhausting. We as we as brothers and sisters in, in, in the ultimate goal or scheme of things, people have to be able to speak out when they see these injustices and things being hap- and happening. You just can't turn their face. They, they can't turn a blind eye. They, 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 you want to help us? Speak out against it. Help mm-hmm. us level the playing field. And watch things get better for all of us. That's all we want. That's really good. Hey, what what's something, you know, our media, as you know, both sides of the aisle or whatever, are so good at uh, magnifying the negative things that are going on. What's something that you've seen in the last several months that encourages you in this in this era that we're living in? Um, To be honest, I think that throughout all of the protests that I do see a lot of people's eyes are beginning to open um, to see what they haven't realized what is, is actual privilege um, and to be able to use their privilege to help help us or to to push the cause for equality, whether it's for a black person or a woman, uh, not even of color, but just trying to break the glass ceiling, wherever the, the injustice exists. Mm-hmm. I see that that people are, are are speaking out more, and 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 I I know there's more good in this world than it is bad, regardless of what the media shows us, regardless of you know even if you turn your TV off and you go to a playground and you watch kids in their innate just young loving selves, they will play with each other and they don't care about their color. That hate is taught that the, the all that other things that we see, the system, the systemic um, racism that we see in our institutions and, and 
everything. It, it's it's put in there for a reason, and it's and, and the intent was to keep a whole race of, of people down and to uplift another. And and the more I see people, we see these chains that are being broken. It's it's really it's motivating and it's uplifting to see that that we aren't just talking anymore. That there's some progress being made. It's still too slow, but there's some progress being made, and hopefully we can we can get to a point to where, hey, we we won't have any problems. We won't have to fight and say, you know, we we're living in a in a world that that one person is treated better than the other because we all we all bleed the same color, you know, color blood. We all, you know, breathe the same air. You know, God made us all. You know, so I don't, I don't, I, to me, I, I feel like it's a mental disease, a, a disorder for someone to think that one race is better than another. And and, and to me, I, I, I'm just hoping that we can eliminate that in my lifetime. I'm hoping that it, it, it goes away so that our children can live in, in, in what I seem to want to think is a utopian type atmosphere, a world where we can all live harmoniously together. You know what? I appreciate you saying that because that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is what what is your hope for our country? And and I'll tell you mine in in the coming years, and I don't know how long it's going to take. And you and I both know that it's not ever going to be utopia until we you know get to the other side and and are in heaven together. However, I do have a hope that through terrible things like a a COVID pandemic or other things that happen in our world, I hope that my grandkids get to experience a season of life here in America where we all see ourselves and each other as Americans, not as white Americans or black American or Mexican or just this is my brother, man. And, and I, I, man, I've been so convicted and really watch myself and catch myself if I ever refer to a friend of mine by putting their color first, because that's just crazy. It, God doesn't see color. Um, you just said it. Our, our blood's all the same color. Little kids don't see color unless they've been taught that, of course, by their parents and or, or somebody. Some Somehow they pick it up. It's not something that comes natural to little kids. And Man, that's my hope is that people can just love each other. And I, I think I, I'm sure you agree with me. I, I think we're all just a little fatigued by all the negativism and the us versus them. And man, we, we live in the greatest country in the world still today. I, I just want everybody to realize that again and, and treat each other like that's where we live. Um, the good news is, and, and you know, I, I hate trite Christian sayings sometimes because they're overused, but thank goodness God is on the throne, man, and he's in control. Um, and uh, so anyway, that's good. Well, I want to add something and, and something you said. Um, our country and, and someone reached out to me that lived in our community after Zaya passed. And uh, we were talking. I won't say their name, but their son had passed in the same community um, uh, the year prior. And they had planted a tree for their son and, and everything. So he was reaching out to me because he saw 
how you know I would post and the heartbreak he he would see and he would reach out to me. And just recently we were having a conversation, and he was like, "Well, you know, his concern was kind of along the lines here: What do we do as Americans? Because he's an immigrant, he's immigrated here, and why are we so separate here?" And um, and I was trying to help him understand. And then it dawned on him and I that in the country that he's from, they don't put race on the birth certificate. When I told him that this is something that is institutionalized here from onset of birth here in the United States, the light bulb went on for him. So it's, it's here where we take that division and we begin it from the time you were born. You come out of the womb, you are divided. So it's we have to stop we have to stop that there. We have to change how we do that there. That shouldn't even be on an application. It shouldn't be there should be no way, it shouldn't matter what color you are on a piece of paper if you're applying for the job. No, that should matter. I love that, man. And thank you so much for for sharing. I wanna do one more thing with you today. We always try to do something kind of fun with with our guests. So today you and I are going to play a little game called five questions. And these are just random questions. And you just answer them off the top of your head as I throw them at you. You ready? Yeah. All right. So number one, what band or music artist could you play over and over again and never get tired of hearing them? Oh, man, I have a few. But I think my all-time favorite group growing up um, is Commission. Um I, I love their, their, their harmonies. And each of these guys have gone on to do their own thing and still relevant today. But um, just the stories of brokenness are, the, to me, they brought a newness of from the old traditional gospel to something new to me. So when I was growing up, that's what I used to listen to. And now it's more like P.J. Morton or Anthony Brown, um, those guys. Um so that's, that's who I'm listening to these days. Who is your favorite superhero of all time and why? I am a Marvel fanatic. And I would have to say Iron Man. Um, and it's just to me because of how his ideas to use his intellect to help create that utopia uh, protecting the world from evil after, you know, initially using his intellect to help destroy it. To me, that switch to changing to now I want to protect and I want to help. That to me was, he's, he's my favorite. That, that actually is a good segue to this side question I have. It's this long time controversy and you can help me sell it here on Critical Folly. Is uh, is Batman really a superhero or just a rich guy with a lot of gadgets? He's just a rich guy with laryngitis and a lot of gadgets. What a great point, because no matter who it is that they get to play Batman in the movies, he always has laryngitis. They always have. No, that just happened with the uh, what was the one guy. He started that. Uh, Christian well, Batener started that. He started that. Before that, you didn't, they didn't ever oh, change their voice. Christian before. Bale. But see, I thought Christian Michael Bale. Keaton did that too. I don't I don't recall him doing it. I thought yeah. it was Christian Bale. I'm going to have to go back and look that. But you, you heard it here, folks. Batman is not a superhero. Just rich, a lot of gadgets, 
laryngitis. And laryngitis. <laughs> okay. Hey, uh, hey, when when you and Trish have some time just to go and you got a free day or two, what do you guys like to do together? Uh, we just love to drive. Just get out and enjoy nature. Um, you know, here, like in Colorado, we used to go and look for waterfalls. My wife loves waterfalls. I think it's probably because she was born in Guyana, which is known for waterfalls. So now we go around, we look for waterfalls, and we've been finding some here in, in Virginia. That's, um, good. that's that's our thing. Okay, how about uh, who is your favorite athlete to watch these days? Honestly, I would have to say I'm a bandwagoner. I'm a I I love to watch LeBron James because I feel like he's a great, not just an athlete but a citizen of this earth. Um, the things that he does in the community and the thing he does on the court, you just want to see this guy win because he's he's not just somebody that's taking all this money and and keeping it for his empire, but he's giving back to the communities. The thing he's done with that school back in Ohio is, is amazing. And the way he's given back, not just there, but a lot of places throughout the country is, is to me, I want to see him win. So I root for him, no matter what team he's on. So I hate you. Know what, what, a, what a great example of one of the dilemmas in our country today where people just see what they want to see. And they see this guy larger than life on the court. They see him switching teams or whatever. And we don't take time to dig behind the surface and see what, what's, what's this person really all about. It's one of the reasons I'm a, I'm a documentary junkie. I love like ESPN's 30 for 30 series and just anything that can tell me, maybe that's why I, I love doing this podcast is anything that can tell me about somebody's story beneath the surface that we normally see, man, I'm all about that because it opens your eyes. And uh, I got to admit, man, I, I was a Showtime Lakers fan, but I was not a Kobe fan. I, I don't really know why, but it's been hard for me to root for him in a Lakers uniform. But my greatest memory of LeBron James is from 2011 when my Dallas Mavericks exacted revenge on on those guys and uh and want to talk anyway sorry there i go making about me okay a couple more things um i am giving you and trisha two free round trip tickets to anywhere in the world where are you guys going maldives that's my wife's dream i'm saving for it right now for me and her to go so that's where again we love to be around the water um so that's where we're trying to go there and then um we both want to go to Jerusalem, where you guys went last year. Oh my so. gosh! We 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 want. That was earlier this year, though. What's it was uh, January of twenty twenty. It was right before I entered treatment. And uh, I'll tell you what. You know what we need to do is we need to save up and we need to go together. I would love to experience that again with you, man. You you just won't believe it. I most of that ten or twelve days I spent with my mouth hanging open, just in awe and just putting things together that you don't realize, you know, one of the things I tell people all the time is when you grow up and you listen to Bible stories, you don't really realize what a small geographic area the entire Bible takes place in. And it, it just, it's, it's amazing. So we ought to try to do that together one day. Uh, okay. Last and most important question. Uh, who is the best dancer in the Jackson family? <laughs> 
in my mind, me. But I have to say Christian. <laughs> in my mind, yeah, nobody, yeah, they can't touch me. <laughs> and the running man is going to come out. <laughs> is that your go-to? That's my go-to. <laughs> That's good, man. It'll be funny what your kids think, and especially when they hear this and see if they agree with your commentary that you're the best answer. Hey, man, I, I love you, my friend. And what a joy it has been for me today just to reconnect with you. And uh, even though it wasn't under the best of circumstances, I am so grateful, eternally grateful that God uh, crossed our paths, man. Uh, love you and want the best for you guys. And I can't wait to see what God has in store down the road. I am grateful as well. I, you have no idea the impact and the love that Trisha and I have for you and Michelle. I mean, you guys came through for us in a time where you didn't have to. And however, God put it on your guys' heart and mind to just reach out and lift us up when we were at the lowest point in our lives, we were forever be indebted to you guys. And we love you for that. Hey, until next time, man, tell your sweet family hello. I will. All right. Love you. Take care. Well, friends, I hope you were encouraged by that conversation with Dr. Terrence Jackson today. If you have questions about today's conversation or you'd like to recommend someone for us to interview on Critical Folly, you can email us at criticalfolly at gmail.com. Hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time.